Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I know that some of us are still hung over on turkey and dressing and all the goods, and at my house, we're hung over on ribeyes. Yeah, so if you don't like turkey and dressing, next time, make plans to come to our house. Uh, a long time ago, I just, I remember growing up and eating turkey, and I never ate the dressing really, but uh, growing up a lot of times, and not to my mom's fault, we would go visit other family, and you don't know who they are, so I can say this openly, but sometimes the turkey wouldn't be quite so good. It would be a little bit, what's the word? Dry. See, y'all have had it too. Yeah. So um, when we got married, I asked my wonderful, loving, gracious wife, I said, do we have to do turkey and dressing on holidays? And she said, well, I guess we don't. And I said, what about steaks? And so she agreed. Now, she does miss that stuff, and so she gets it sometimes and and does that sometimes for us, but uh, ultimately, we did steaks. And I think that uh, it works out well for where we are because we're right in the meat of the story of Ruth, and I am ready to get to the bottom of this story. Are you not ready? I'm excited about it. It has been a good story from ruin to redemption. It has been one that has brought us a lot of hope, I hope, along the way. Uh, It's one for me that uh, every time I go back and study it in depth, the Lord just pulls back even more of the junk in my life and begins to take more and more of that brokenness that's under layers and brings healing to my heart through the story of redemption that we see all throughout the scriptures, but just especially in the story of Ruth. You know, part of what I love about it so much is that she was an outsider. And uh, if you haven't been with us, I'll give you a quick kind of rundown of where we've been in the story. The first three chapters of this, you might look at it almost more of in acts or scenes. Uh, The first three have to go something like this. There's a lady named Naomi who's got a husband and two sons, and they leave Bethlehem to go to the, the enemy's territory in Moab because there's a famine, and they think they can get what they need there. And while there, uh, her husband dies and her two sons die after they've been married, and she's left with nothing except for two daughters-in-law who are still with her. And uh, after a while, about a decade total, she hears that God has brought bread back to the place called Bethlehem, which is city of bread. And so she begins to journey back, and her daughters-in-law go with her, and she turns and says, no, no, you don't have to come with me. Go back, marry. Yeah, I have nothing to give you. And Orpah, one of the daughters, she does that. She goes back, but Ruth tells her pretty much in this first chapter one, she says, I'm going to go where you go. I will be with you where you are, and I will serve the God, your God, Yahweh. And she says, I will even be buried where you're buried. So she commits herself to Naomi, and she goes with Naomi as a foreigner, as a foreigner who's an enemy of the state, in a sense even, goes to Bethlehem, and they're greeted there. And at the end of chapter 1, we see all the people come out, all the folks in town hear that Naomi's back. And when they go to kind of greet her, she tells them that she is not the same woman that she is empty, that she went away full and she's come back empty. From there, we see Ruth stepping up to try to help her mother-in-law who's depressed, who is struggling, and she goes out to try to glean from the fields, which is a part of what you could do back then. They would tell you that if you were an Israelite, you were supposed to leave the edges of your field there for those who are poor and without, and if something fell to the floor, you don't pick every little bit up. You leave that for those who might come behind you who are in need, and so she 
does that. She goes out and she begins to, to take from a field and she does so carefully, uh, especially as a foreigner. And while she's doing that, uh, a man who's in charge of the field sees her and asks who she is. And the workers tell him that she is Ruth, the Moabite, who has uh, come with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And uh, he knows that he is a guy that's related distantly to Naomi, and uh, he goes to her and gives her kind of a place that's safe to come to, and he tells this guy, he said, you let her have extra. In fact, he gives her extra to take home, lets him eat with them, and then sends her home with plenty to go back to Naomi with. So now Naomi's beginning to not be so empty in some ways in the city of bread as they're collecting the things needed to make the bread. And Boaz who is the guy who's been helping uh, Ruth in this way, we find out is actually what they call a kinsman redeemer. The Hebrew word is goel. And that word simply means one who's in the family, who's there to take in someone who has lost their husband, doesn't have an heir, and to marry them and to take care of them and to give them an heir so that their line continues on, even with the property. We'll see that here in this chapter. And then Naomi, who had prayed for her daughter-in-law in the beginning, who said, I hope the Lord will give you what you need to be full and to be satisfied, and you've shown this great love to me, this great chesed that's over and over again mentioned or demonstrated. It's God's steadfast love and mercy. And she says, I pray that God would make you full or make you satisfied and make you complete. And he's, she's talking about with a husband and children, and God has not answered that prayer yet. So what does a good mother do for her daughter? She takes it in her own hands to make sure that happens. Anybody else have a mom like that? Anybody? Come on. A few of us. Okay. So this is a good mom. She begins to concoct a plan, and she sends Ruth to Boaz to, in the middle of the night, basically, where they're going to be sleeping with what they've gathered to kind of protect it and get ready to keep working the next day. She sends her out there and tells her to go and lay down at his feet after it's dark. Pay close attention to where he is. Lay down at his feet. And when he wakes up, listen to what he has to say. Well, Ruth does that. So Naomi's taking some initiative here. We talked about it last week that God may providentially be working in our lives. And he calls us to actually seek out sometimes to be a part of the answers to our own prayers. And so that's what Naomi has sent her off to do, and Ruth does that in obedience. She goes out there, and she lays down. She uncovers his feet, which would stir him up to wake up in the middle of the night when he got cold. And uh, as he does wake up, he finds her there, and he's really careful to make sure that he doesn't in any way mess up her reputation or his. He talks with her, and he says this, basically. She says, put me under your wings, which is what he had praised her for, that she had come under the wings of God. She says, cover me with your wings, basically, in marriage. And he says, I promise you that I will do that, but first there's one we have to go to who's the next in line, and we have to go to him first. But if he will not do it, then I promise to the Lord that I will do that for you and for your family. And so that leaves us in a place wondering, like, what's going to happen, right? How's it going to go for them? There's somebody else. It's like that whole, remember what I said last week that my kids do at home? When we get to that point where there's kind of a climactic pause and a cliffhanger, the sounds that we make, do you remember Anybody? That's it. Dun, dun, dun. We're kind of waiting for that part, right? And so here we are. We're waiting for that moment, and we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. And I just want to read it with you and let the Word of God wash over your heart and your soul this morning. And then we're going to pray together again before we endeavor to unpack it for us today. So let's do that. Chapter 4, verse 1. 
Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Notice that word Redeemer, by the way, how many times it's stated. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the land of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. You see what he did there? He didn't do anything dishonest, but he said at first, she's going to sell this land, she has to get rid of it. And the guy says, I'll buy that land for sure, right? But then he says, oh, but you got to remember, it comes along with inheriting Ruth as well, the Moabite. Then the Redeemer said in verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of, of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of, of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Remembering, this is the one who was without child in Moab, right? Ten years there. And immediately she conceived and bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And that name Obed means servant. Now verse 18, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And what a great story. Let us pray and ask for the Lord to guide us and illumine our minds and our hearts. Father, we are broken people, some who have tasted redemption already, and some who have definitely tasted ruin in our lives. 
But Lord, today we need your guiding hand. We need your powerful Holy Spirit to work in us so that we might understand your word and so that we might then be obedient to how you lead us to respond to your word. Lord, make us sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Would you work in us to help us to have the faith and the boldness to be obedient? And then, Lord, would you help us to make much of you as we go forth from this place, hopefully more like Jesus, your Son, our great Redeemer. Lord, you are so good to us. Fill us now with love for your Son that you have. Would you fill us with love for one another and for the loss that your Son has shown us in the good news gospel that he has presented to us in his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, we ask all this for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Man, what a good story, isn't it? The guy gets the girl. The girl gets the guy and a kid. The grandma gets a grandbaby. She keeps the land. Life is good. Sounds like a Hallmark movie in the making. And I know some of you watched Hallmark over the last several days because you were at home. Okay, It's a good story, but it is much, much, much more than that. In fact, let me back up just a second and briefly just talk about this idea of a redeemer with us. Because I believe here we actually see four different redeemers in the story in this last chapter. And four different ones. Now, I didn't notice this the first couple of times I've read and studied this, but I believe there's four different ones. I'll show you. We'll walk along. Don't get ahead of me, but let's take some time to talk about what it means to be a redeemer. Here we're talking about that Goel word, to be a kinsman redeemer, which is someone that we mentioned before that would be related to the one who was in need of having an heir, who was in need of taking care of them. And so this Goel, this kinsman redeemer, would, would do that, step in and take the place and give an heir. But the idea of redemption goes back way beyond that. In fact, you could say that it goes back all the way to the beginning, but most assuredly in the Bible it crops up when we have Moses going to redeem his people out of slavery, to redeem God's people out of slavery. As God calls Moses out, the reluctant one, to go and liberate his people from slavery in Egypt, and as God parts the sea to bring them through and closes it back up onto Pharaoh and his army, wiping them out, he becomes the redeemer of Israel. He becomes the one who brings redemption, freedom from slavery there. And you and I have within us some type of subconscious knowledge, soul deep, that tells us that we need to be liberated from the enslavement in our lives. That's part of what we love about being Americans is that we have been liberated from that in so many ways compared to other nations but there's something within us that tells us things aren't right and we want freedom from those things that aren't right. We want freedom from the burdens in our lives. We want freedom from the suffering that we, we endure. We want freedom from the hurts and the bad habits and the hang-ups and all the struggle that we have to go through. We yearn for that redemption, that being purchased out of it is the truth. But we just know we want freedom from all those things. We want to be liberated. We love it so much that we yearn to watch the stories. We learn to listen to them. We, we yearn to be a part of the great movies that put that on display. It speaks deeply to our souls because it's something that we desire in such a deep, real way that we don't fully have even now. Even if we've been redeemed in Jesus right now, we know we're not fully there. Even though we've been liberated and been saved, if you put your hope and trust in Jesus and you've been purchased by his blood on the cross, we know that still 
part of it's not right yet because we're still broken on the inside. We're still tied up to sin and struggle and hurts. And I'm here today to say that there's several types of redeemers you can look to. Some of them can be very, very helpful. Now, hear me right. There's only one real redeemer, and his name is Jesus. But we're going to see several types of redeemers discussed. The first one is a false redeemer, a poor, failing redeemer. And I think that sometimes we put our hope in things that can't really bring redemption in any aspect to our lives. And when those things fall through, we lose hope, we lose faith. And I believe also that we sometimes paint the Redeemer to be different in what He redeems us from. God did not send Jesus to redeem us out of our poverty so that we could be prosperous in our money. That's not what He came to do. Some of you might be prosperous. Some of you might have gone from rags to riches. That's not what He came to do. He came to redeem us out of our sinful connection and being tied to death and being tied to the wrath of God that we deserve. And He came to redeem us for those things. But when you paint Jesus as the Redeemer for you out of a given situation, and He doesn't deliver you the way you think He should do it, oftentimes He becomes a failure in your mind and heart, and that leads you to step away from Him. And I'm here today to lead you to see Jesus in the right light. Not by my power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, hopefully, in this Word. Look back at verses 1 through 6. Let's look at this guy again. We don't even know his name. He's so worthless to the story that he doesn't even have a name. In fact, he doesn't just call him what is translated as my friend. It's more like my so-and-so is the more transliterated uh, Greek or uh, Hebrew, I mean. So look at it, verse 1 through 6. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And notice again, for the umpteenth time, God's providential hand at work. It looks like Boaz goes up to the gate and it just happens to be that the Redeemer walks on by the guy he goes to look for. But that's God maneuvering him. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Do you just think those guys were ready to do that? I mean, this is probably a Boaz thing where he's gone and prepared for this and gotten things ready. We're not certain, but it seems to look like that. Verse 3, he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it to say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. He's already said Redeemer like four or five times. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and, it comes, and I come after you. And he said, listen, I will redeem it. So this guy looks at him and goes, you want me to get that land? Yeah, I'll redeem that land. I'll purchase that land. I'll get that back into the clan here. I'll make sure it stays with us, and I'll get all the fruits of that land. But then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this guy knew that he was in line to be the Goel for Naomi. They know the family thing. I mean, you know, you know, you know when you run into your family here, right? Gadsden's not much different than Bethlehem. We know each other. Most of us staying in most towns about our size, you better be careful who you talk about and who you talk about them to because they're probably related, right, to somebody in that line. 
And that's what's going on here. This guy knew, but he had abdicated that responsibility, just passively skirted around it, not gone and done what was the right thing to do. He's not doing it in an illegal fashion against the law, but he's not picking up ethically what he should be doing. So Boaz takes the initiative, and he goes to him, and he tells him, hey, you need to redeem this if you're going to redeem it. And at first, the guy sees dollar signs, and he's like, yeah, I'm all in. And then he sees he's going to have to split possibly his inheritance with his own descendants and with a descendant of Ruth, who would become his descendant and mess up his own inheritance. And he pushes it back. He goes, no, 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 I don't want to do that. That's too much. And so he bypasses it and throws it back down to Boaz's lap. And says, no, no, you do this. This Redeemer failed to live out this love and mercy of God we've seen talked about over and over in here called the Hesed of God, which is his steadfast love and mercy. He failed to do that. He was quick to reach for the benefits of his obligation, and he was quick then to shirk the difficult responsibilities of his obligation right after that when he saw it was going to be difficult and something that was going to make him uncomfortable or add a little burden to his life. He had the appearance of being this righteous redeemer all of a sudden, but he failed to follow through in the love of God, the said, Funny enough, right, that we've seen this steadfast love and mercy of God demonstrated in in probably the best way up to this point, not by an Israelite, but by a Moabite, by the enemy, Ruth, right? But she's shown this, and now he doesn't. He understood what was right, but he chose himself over others. But let us be quick, church, not to point the finger so quickly at this unnamed fellow that is dropping his redemptive responsibility. It's easy to look at this selfish failure of redemption and think that he's really messed up and done some bad, and we're excited about it even because of Boaz getting the opportunity, but we have to look inwardly at this point and take an account of ourselves. I mean, just for a moment, I know it's uncomfortable, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to depend on you guys again. Are you ready? Ready, yeah. Sometimes I believe we avoid pursuing these same acts of that chesed kind of love, showing that steadfast love and mercy, the great kindness of God that we're all called to. This is what we're called to do, ministers of reconciliation. We're called to be those who love beyond understanding who love without end, who forgive and forgive and who pursue and who, who show the kind of love and steadfast mercy that we see God showing to us. But sometimes we avoid it because it doesn't make logical sense in the moment, right? Uh, just like Orpah, who was left her mom, mother-in-law, to go back home to find a husband. It made logical sense to do that. It wasn't wrong of her, but she took off and did the thing that was best for her in her mind at that time. Or even sometimes... We're selfishly motivated to avoid living mercifully towards others with the great kindness of God and the deep love of God, just like this Goel number one, I call him, the next in line redeemer. Let me ask this question. How many moments, think in your own mind of self here, how many moments have been lost to us where we could have fulfilled our responsibility to show the love of God to another, but instead we shirked that responsibility for reasons unbecoming the name Christian. When you had an opportunity, when you knew the Spirit of God was pressing you to do it, but we shirked that responsibility. Where we had a moment where we could have been, in a sense, a type of redeemer for others to give them the hope that they should have in Jesus. Where we show them visible love of the gospel in our actions 
or in our generosity, and we haven't done those things. We don't like to go there very much because it leads us down a spiral of despair in our own hearts towards self. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that even in our failures, there is hope for us. Amen? We have hope because we have a Savior, and His name is Jesus. We have hope because we have a greater Redeemer than this Redeemer who failed. We have a Redeemer who's never failed. God did not leave us to ourselves, but He's chased after us in His great love to redeem us in spite of our sin and failure. Oh, there is a Redeemer. You remember that old song? Oh, there is a Redeemer, and His name is Jesus. And He does not fail us. And no matter how many times you've been failed by someone you look to for hope and redemption, no matter how many times you've been failed by someone who promised that kind of love and that kind of mercy, who walked away or who left you there in that place without the hope, you have access to the one who gave his life for you so that you could be with him forever. And he hates that fact that you've been hurt or ruined or suffered. He hates it so much that he was willing to give his life to overcome it on the cross. That is the true kinsman redeemer whose name is Jesus. And he brings hope to the hopeless, redemption to the ruined. This is our hope as we even approach Christmas because it's the one who came not just to be the baby, also cute in the manger, but to be the one who would give his life on the cross for us, to become our brother who made the way possible for us to be with him. God does not leave you or me in our abject failures. Thank you, Lord. Praise him in your heart for that. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving me there. But he reaches down in his great love and his chesed, his steadfast love and mercy, his commitment to us, even though we fail in our side of the commitment over and over again. And he picks us up out of our ruin and emptiness, working with his steady providential hand to redeem us, even though we are unworthy. That's the the kind of said that we see demonstrated all over here, but not by this guy, and oftentimes not by us. Thankfully, we have a Redeemer who brings us hope and gives us lots of second chances. Not to earn our way, Jesus paid for our way already, but just to turn our eyes back to him because he wants us to be with him that much. Not because he needs us, but because he loves us that much. That's the way we're to love. There's a second kind of redeemer that we see here. It's the obvious one. What's his name? Boaz. Thank you. Thank you. Did anybody else want to say it now? Did you know it's not a name you're not thinking of? Boaz. Thank you. Good. I knew you all knew it. Nobody wants to be the first. Boaz. Look at verse 7 through 12 there, and you'll see that Boaz was not the first in line, right? He had to go to somebody else, but he was the one willing to act because this other guy had dropped the ball. And in his great love and kindness and mercy that he's exhibited, just like God's great love and mercy for us. We see Boaz stepping out there in the love of God for the sake of Naomi and for Ruth, pursuing what would be done right by them to do what is right. And look what we see there. Look at verse 7. Now, this was the custom. He either takes his shoe off, the other guy does, hands it to him, and we see in verse 8. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilean and to Malon. You know what belonged to them? A piece of land and a lot of burden. Taking care of people. Worrying about other mouths to feed. He's taking all of that for them. 
Verse 10, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, an outsider, a foreigner who many would not accept most likely. He says, I buy them. I redeem them. In love, the love of God, I reach out to them. Those who are unwanted, those who are burdensome, those who are difficult. And that is who we are, brothers and sisters. We're the difficult ones. We're the burdens. And yet God continually brings us back to himself like Boaz. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. He redeems even Malon's future child through him, through Ruth. Not his own kid. This is the grace and steadfast love and kindness and mercy of God towards us. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. And listen, he says, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May he make you plentiful to build up your house. May you act worthily. That word's already been talked about by him in chapter 2, I think verse 1, where it says he was worthy in this way. May you act worthy. Talked about by Ruth of her being a worthy woman. That when, when he looks at her on the field, he says, everybody knows who you are now, Ruth, and you're seen as a worthy woman. And they say to him, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Be made famous in Bethlehem. Be made known in, ba- in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. You know what's crazy about that? Is Tamar was an outsider too. And if you're going to skip ahead to where we're going to be for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at Tamar on one of those. We're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus and how all these people are in there that should not be in there. And we're going to see how we too, but by the grace of God, should not be in the line of Christ. But His grace is more than sufficient for us. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. God providentially, we talked about it last week, God providentially uses ordinary people who live extraordinary lives of that kind of chesed love to accomplish his glorious ends. So if you want to be a part of God's redeeming work in the land, let us together become more like these examples of giving and showing the love of God and his steadfast Love and kindness and grace and mercy towards others. Showing visible love. Being kingdom-minded with gospel urgency. Enjoying God. Enjoying people. And doing whatever we can to reach the lost. This is the kind of love God has demonstrated. This is the kind of love we see here Boaz stepping up to show in his being a redeemer. He's not the only one, though. Keep going. We're going to run it down here. Verse 13 through 17 We see the Redeemer who was a fulfilling gift of God's love to Naomi. I didn't catch this the first few times. So go back and read it with me and look. Who's the Redeemer that they're talking about here in verse 13? So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And you think it's Boaz, right? Look. And may his name be renowned in Israel. There again, you think it's Boaz. He shall be to you a restorer of life. That word restorer is the word 
that's talking about it, be one that turns you back around to where you should be. Remember that from the first chapter? But turns you back around to him, a restorer of life. When she was empty, she was dead inside, and now she gets life in him. May he, but he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him, the Redeemer. It's not Boaz here. It's Obed. It's Obed. What's unique about that? Keep going. Look at this. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. She takes care of this little boy who will take care of her in her old age, who will be her restorer and her redeemer of her heart, almost as if she's had a resurrection, right? And eventually, through that line of the one she's a nurse for, who she keeps in her lap, will come her true redemption, who is in Jesus Christ, through the line of David through the line of Jesse, through the line of Obed, through the line of Ruth, through the line of Naomi. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, or servant, the servant redeemer. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Warren Wearsby, I don't always read this guy, but I called his book for this, and I read it, and something just jumped out at me. He says these two short sentences. This book begins with a funeral and ends with a wedding. It opens with famine and closes with fullness. And some of us here don't have that fullness. We have emptiness. But I can promise you that when Jesus comes back to take us home, we will be full in a way that we cannot imagine at this point, and that is where our hope remains. Not in the fullness is even here that we taste. Listen, God never gives up on his people. He's providentially guiding them all the way through. You don't even see it here. It's not even talked about very openly. Just a couple of times we see it mentioned that God did this. But really we know as we watch it and look at it that God's moving all the parts all the way through. This guy just happened to walk by when Boaz was ready for him. These people just happened to be standing there to make sure they were witnesses. The Ruth just happened to show up on Boaz's threshing floor. No, these are all things providentially worked out by the hand of God. He sovereignly works all things to our good and for his glory. We know that because it's also been mentioned all over the other places of the Bible, like Romans 8, 28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work to the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean it works to our good because we like it in the moment. It means that God will shape it and work it to our good, and we can trust in him. So that Redeemer, Obed, there's another one here. It's implicit, but it's mentioned in a way here at the last. Look at this last part. You might even skip this as you're reading it because it gets kind of boring reading genealogies, right? But unique here. Verse 18, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Most likely the author is writing it in such a way to show, right, that here the seventh in line, the completion, is actually in Obed. what I want you to know is that line continues on, and we pick it up next week, 
that it ends up with the last one in the mentioning of the genealogy being Jesus. And so while this Redeemer is not mentioned here because they have no idea how this is going to play out. They're in the time of the judges where it's horrible and Israel keeps messing it up over and over and over again. But here there's a sliver of hope in the midst of the chaos and the crazy. So while you think it may be horrible, while you may, while you may think that whatever you're going through or whatever we're going through is difficult and overwhelming and a struggle, God's sovereign hand is working in ways we do not see yet, but we will see on the other side as we look back and we see the beautiful work of the tapestry he's creating and where he's placed us in the story. And as we remain obedient and, and following after showing that same chesed kind of love to others and to one another, we'll see one day how it played out. But here we see that the greater Redeemer, who's God's gift of love to us all, not just to Naomi and Obed, but to all of us, is the further offspring who is Jesus Christ our Lord. And we know, we know that in Him everything will be made right because He came to undo all the wrong. And nothing can thwart the sovereign God of the universe. He took death and he swallowed it for us into the grave. And then he arose victorious. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to live within us that we might be a part of those who are rescuing others, redeemers of a type ourselves, calling us out to be ministers of reconciliation. And if you call on him as Father, Peter says, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In other words, with a said kind of love, with love and mercy of God in ways that are magnanimous and beyond us. So let us, therefore, act in such a way. We could say it that way. So what then shall we say to these things? Paul's talking about all this other stuff, but it rings true for us even here in Romans 8.31. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? No matter where you feel like you are, no matter where you feel like you lie right now as a body or as individuals or as a family, if God is for us, who can be against us? Listen to these words. Let them wash over your heart. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You hear that? No matter what you're going through, we're not going through that. And there's nobody that can come against us that can overcome the Lord. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let us lean into our kinsman redeemer, the one who became one of us, who put on flesh so that he could be like us, so that he could take the wrath and the destruction that we deserve fully in our place on the cross. He stood condemned so that we could be connected 
connected to him, not only by blood, but in his death, we could receive life. In his burial, we could receive resurrection, so that when he resurrected from the grave, we receive hope that's everlasting, because he will fulfill his promises. And he said he goes to prepare a place, and one day he's coming back. So let us put our hope in that Redeemer. That is the one we worship. Amen? That is our Redeemer. Let us praise Him with song. Let us praise Him as we eat and as we drink. Let us praise Him as we walk. And let that be our evangelism that we speak highly of His name because He's worthy of all praise. Because He alone deserves glory. I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. He alone deserves glory. So let us speak of Him everywhere we go. He alone should be made much of. He alone is worthy, and He alone can redeem. And today you may be hearing this for the first time, and I'm telling you, please, please do not turn your ears off to this truth that only in Christ do you have hope. And today, if today's the first time you've heard this or the umpteenth time, but today it's pierced your heart, then today is a day of redemption. You need to repent and believe in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the only way, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no coming to the Father except through Him. Let that begin today. As we marvel at the beginning of Advent, where we celebrate the coming of the Christ as a child, as a baby, let it be that He would enter your heart today for the first time if you've never been His before. And for the rest of us, let us repent. Wherever the Lord has pierced your heart today through the Word, let it be that we respond in obedience and repent and believe on Him as the only way our only brother, our only true great redeemer. Father, we need you to move in us. We cannot do these things on ourselves, in our own ability, under our own power. But Lord, you, through us, you can work in us to give us hope and faith that we believe on Jesus, that we would respond in obedience because you empower us. So please, Lord, do that now that we might live for you And Lord, do not let us run in our sin, but instead, would you help bring brothers and sisters around us who will call us out, that we will be vulnerable with? Would you surround us with those who love us too much to let us remain in it? And would you, Father, help us to repent by grace? For by grace we have been saved, and by your grace we will be sustained, and by grace we'll go home with you. So Lord, help us now. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. We ask that in his name. Amen.